Brought to you by the power of the internet and fueled by imagination. This is Game Night Heroes. We toss dice and tell stories. The deeds of heroes await and legends dare to be heard. This is Game Night Heroes. Hello, and welcome back to Game Night Heroes. We are the Game Night Heroes, and we're glad to have you here. We are going to be telling a collaborative story in which we will play characters that will then go on an adventure, and the success and failure of that adventure will be determined by dice rolling. So, that's it in a nutshell. Let's take a moment to reintroduce ourselves for the uninitiated. If we can start right here with Rob. Rob, who are you? Who are you playing? Hey, everybody. I'm Rob. I'm playing Victor Reed. Oh, yeah. How about you, Colleen? I'm Colleen, and I am voicing Lady Iridanza. Ooh. And Aaron. Hello. I'm Arden and Aaron. Yep, you're both. uh, Yeah, I'm going to screw up talking today. It's all right. Do it over if you want. Nope, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> and Brittany. I'm Brittany, and I'm playing Nisha. Excellent. And I'm Kevin, and I get to play as the Dungeon Master for this game, which means that I get to play as everyone and everything else. So, let us dive back into Freeport, the city of adventure. Previously on Game Night Heroes. After arriving in the city of Freeport, four strangers emerge to begin their shaped destiny. Victor Reed, a half-elf hexblade bard. The Radonza Orime, a sea-elf noble ranger. Nisha Lycoania, a wood-elven rogue. And Arden Langolar, a halfling sorcerer, found themselves in the employ of Brother Egil, a quiet priest from the Temple of Knowledge. Their mission? To locate his missing friend, Lucius, a librarian who disappeared several days ago after mysterious circumstances. Their quest took them to different reaches of the city, and the mystery continues to grow in the city of Freeport. Our tale now resumes. As you guys are standing there enjoying your brunch, so to speak. The front doors did fly open and Egil is standing there panting. I don't know who it could have been. I don't, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what happened, but someone was definitely there. I, I think we might be in danger. Danger? Sounds like fun. Fun? Are you mad? You gotta live for adventure, my friend. Well, In any case, I believe the timetable may have to be moved up. Perhaps we should make our way now before any sort of other shenanigans take place. Sure. Let's go. Yeah, let me me just get one more bite of these delicious pancakes that Desi made. You shovel in a couple of extra bites as Egil gets a little bit more flummoxed, and then you guys do follow him out of the Scholar's Quill. He takes you down into the city, and you guys make your way across Drax End. And as you do so, you pass by some of the sites that you saw the previous day. He takes you down about 
four blocks, and then he turns onto a side street that takes you guys to the north, further into Drax End. You see that he is approaching a small tenement-type building. It is six different units that are together in a stretch of wood and stone. It would seem that this section of the city is a little bit more destitute than the other sections that you saw of Drax End. The small home is one of the units in this little tenement, and it seems to be a single story of construction. There is some finished wood and some brick amongst it, but you do think that perhaps living as a librarian to the Temple of Knowledge here in the city of Freeport is not exactly a lucrative gig. You guys cross the small street to the front door, and as you do so, Egil kind of looks around nervously to the different sides of the street. And then he makes his way towards the front door, and you see as he removes a key from a small belt pouch attached to his belt. He walks up to the front door of unit number three and starts to put the key towards the lock. And he stops and he takes a quickened breath. And then he slowly starts to extend the key again. And the door does unlock and he twists the handle, starts to take a deep breath. He looks back to the four of you. Oh, well, perhaps uh, perhaps one of you should... uh, I want to make a perception check to see if anyone's, like, watching us or, like, around in the buildings or something, like, up above. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Um, Anybody else want to try to look around or? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Whoever would like to kind of look around and take a view of the street, go ahead. Oh, Victor got an eight. And Nisha got a 20. Iridanza with a 21. Beautiful. You ladies are on point with this. And Arden, with your natural one, <laughs> oh, buddy, uh, you, uh, you're still sitting there licking some of that chocolate glaze off your fingers, and you're just not really paying attention at all. You're just really enjoying that eclair. <laughs> yes. Victor, as you're looking around, you don't notice anything out of the ordinary. Iridanza and Nisha, you guys both with your elven senses, your heightened senses, you look around. And you can see that there's more than one person in the street who are looking in your direction. They've noticed that you guys have approached the tenement, but they all quickly look away when they see the two of you looking at them and noticing them. They're not watching you with any sort of tension. They were just watching because like, oh, hey, what are those people doing? Kind of a thing. I'll uh, step forward and uh, open the door since Egil had kind of asked for one of us to potentially do it. Okay. Victor, you step forward and you grab the door handle, you twist the knob and you push, and the door opens up into a interior of a small home. It looks pretty cozy, or it would if it didn't look like a war zone. You can see this entire main room is cluttered with overturned books, scrolls. You can see more than one ink pot has been spilled upon the floor. There is other different types of books, binding instruments, and other types of paraphernalia. That would be used by someone in the scholar's trade. You see, as you enter into the room, that there is a small cot that's jammed up against one of the room's corners, right next to a small little archway that leads into what maybe could perhaps be a back room of some sort. You can see that every single discernible surface is covered with books and scrolls and maps and other different things, and it looks pretty out of sorts. 
What do you guys do? I'll make a investigation to see if I can find anything else through this rubble, basically. Anything of importance, maybe. Okay. How about everybody else? Nisha will do the same. Okay, go ahead and roll those up for me then. As you all four step into the interior of the room, you all start looking around to see what exactly is going on. Do I find anything in the room with a 12? 10. I got a 6. Okay. Victor, you move over to the desk and you start rifling through the papers that are on top of it. And you can see that amongst the different maps and papers that are on top of the desk, there is some loose pieces of parchment that have scribbles on them. Things like little notes, um, little to-do lists, things like that. And one of the notes actually draws your attention. Egil, who's Captain Seer Scarbelly? Seerbelly? He gives you a look and he says, What? And for the first time, he moves into the interior of the home. And he looks around and his eyes are just wide. He's got a look of complete and utter shock and loss on his face. He just looks like he's just really upset at what he's seeing. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, who did you say? Uh, it says on this note, uh, I think it's Captain Scarbelly, or that might be an E. I can't tell what the line crossed through. Maybe it's his penmanship isn't the best. He walks across the room, and as he does so, Nisha, you kind of slide over by the front door. You do one quick last look out into the street, and you notice that now all those people who were watching you guys before are definitively not watching you guys now. And you shut the door to give you guys some privacy. Ejo gets over to where you're standing, Victor. And he takes up the note and he goes, uh, well, this is definitely Lucius's handwriting. I've seen it many times before. Uh, he he was prone to do these little notes like this, these to-do notes, these lists of things that he wanted to accomplish. Uh, Captain Scarbelly. Uh, I don't recognize that name. Uh, perhaps he's a sea captain or a pirate of sorts. Oh, goodness, I hope Lucius isn't getting himself involved in piracy. Hmm. Maybe we should go talk to Captain Scarbelly. I suppose you could. I, I'm i not sure if that would be good or not. I don't know what sort of reputation the man might have. Hmm. Well, he never finished getting those turnips, so maybe he disappeared on route to go find them. It says on here, update diary. You wouldn't have to know where he keeps his diary, would you? He looks at you, and he actually looks at the to-do list. He takes it out of your hand, and he reads it aloud. Things to do. Get some sleep. Talk to Captain Scarbelly. Turnips. Update diary. Examine travel logs. (laughs) Get more sleep. Well, it would seem that he did already talk to this Captain Scarbelly, and he examined his travel logs. Uh, Perhaps they're combined somehow? Uh, A diary, though, that confuses me. Uh, Lucius has never kept a diary, as far as I've been aware. Hmm. I want to search for the diary, then. Okay. Make investigation checks. I have an 18. 18, please. 17. So you guys start poking around and looking through the papers some more. You start making your way through the room. Iridanza, while they're looking through the papers and stuff, you kind of just walk through the room, looking around, 
taking everything in with a different set of eyes than the surface dwellers would. You can actually see that there is a small little kitchen area in the back. It looks like it's a kitchen slash like a dry storage type area. And you can see that it's pretty plain. There's no decorations or any sort of stuff out of the ordinary. But you do notice that there is this really garish, in your opinion, ugly rug in the room that you kind of wrinkled your nose at because it's terrible looking. <laughs> As you guys are going through the room, Arden, you're standing there and you kind of go over toward the desk and you're walking around and you notice that the desk that they found the to-do list at, you can see the bottom drawer is open slightly as if somebody went through it before you guys. You kind of grab the handle of it and you pull it out. You can see that it's really heavy, like way heavier than it should be just for an empty drawer. Nisha, you and Victor look down to see him poking at this drawer. And Nisha, you kind of get down on a knee and you kind of put your hands on the sides of the drawer and you wrap your hands around to the bottom. And after a minute, you realize this drawer has something in it, but it looks like it's empty. Hmm. Something's missing from this drawer, guys. Maybe it's the journal that we're looking for. And with that, you pull out one of your daggers and it spins up into your hand with a very small but functional flourish. And you take the dagger and you kind of insert it into the desk and you kind of tenderly kind of poke a couple times to make sure nothing's going to like trap or, you know, shoot out. And when you touch the bottom, there's a definitive hollow sound. The drawer, you can tell, has a false bottom. Definitely want to pry that open. Okay. Go ahead and make a dexterity check for me, please, Nisha. 17. Excellent. With a 17. You take the dagger and you kind of move it around the edges of the drawer and you slowly pry. And after a couple of times, it catches a certain way and the bottom part of the drawer slides. And it does, in fact, reveal a three inch deep section below where the bottom of the drawer was. And inside is a book. Look what we have here. You guys watch as Nisha reaches in and she pulls out this book. It is a finely crafted leather tome. It's about two inches thick. And the cover is this really finely crafted, really well-maintained black leather. And there is a large embossed L in a very fanciful cursive style on the front center of it. Let's open it up to the last page and see what it says. You turn to the last page and you begin to read, and it is almost illegible. The writing within it is so hurried and frantic that you can't even make out what most of the words say. You capture maybe the occasional word here and there. You can tell one of the words says temple. Something else says hurry. Another one says tomorrow. But other than that, it just looks like scribbles. Maybe even some sort of shorthand. You're not sure. Does it have a date on it? It does. It is dated the day that Lucius was last seen. So three days ago at this point. Well, let's go to the temple. See what we can find. Well, I bet Lucius was on the run. And maybe he was talking to this captain to hitch a ride on his ship. On the run, Egil says. On the run from what? I don't know. It looks to me like he might have had some enemies or somebody after something he has after seeing 
his house the way it is. Is there anything of value he might have had that someone would have wanted? No, we... Uh, excuse me. He he lives a very simple life. I, there's no enemies he would have had. There's no one who would have seen to have him harmed. I, none of this makes any sense, he says, and he kind of starts panicking a little bit. You can see he kind of starts nervously pacing about the room. There was a brief moment of years that you didn't see him, correct? Yes. Maybe something happened in that time. I don't know. I know it's hard for you to believe, but people do change sometimes than what you remember them. He goes over and he kind of crosses over to where that small cot is, and he sits down on it really slowly. And he looks very sad and confused for a moment. And then he gets a very determined look in his eye, and he looks up and he says, No, not Lucius. I know him. He is a good man. You know the same Lucius. You don't know the lost-his-mind Lucius. He just lowers his head again. He looks like he's having a hard time with all of this that's going on. I know this is hard, Egil, but I promise you, we'll find him and we'll get to the bottom of this. He swallows deeply, and he nods a few times. He looks up at you, and you can see that his eyes are rimmed with tears. Maybe out of fear or out of something else, you're not sure. He says, yes, I um, I know you will. I, I trust in the four of you to do this thing. I will continue to trust you some more. And he just kind of sits there in silence for a moment. So, should we head to the temple then? Seems like that's the best place for us to go. All right. Then let's head out. The anchors read. As you guys start to leave, Egil stands up and he says, wait, there's, um, there's something else. And he crosses over to that small little kitchen in the back. And he looks through a small little cabinet that's in there. And you see he actually pulls out a small key ring. And he takes it and he puts it in his belt pouch as well. He says, uh, Lucius's keys, uh, I don't want them to fall into the wrong hands. Very well. Well, what's the key to? To his to his home? To to this place? Oh. I thought okay. I thought we already had that. Well, I well and he just kinda crosses the room and starts making his way towards the front. What do you guys do with the journal? Keep it. Keep it. Take it with us. And I'll flip through more pages to see if there's anything that is actually legible. Nisha, maybe we should look for potential datings of when the time he was away. Yeah, that's a good idea. Continue to flip through it. Okay. The book is about three-fourths of the way full, so it's about 150 pages you would have to flip through. And you can tell that Lucius's handwriting is, as Victor mentioned, it's not the best. But you can see that the further back you go in the journal, the more legible and neat it becomes to where you get to the actual front entries of the book and the journal entries, the handwriting, although not neat, is organized. It's very legible. It's very you can determine what it says. It definitely seems like as you flip through it with this initial glance, it definitely looks like that the more that the writings go on, the more illegible and more frantic the pacing of it gets. If you want to investigate the book completely, go ahead and make an investigation check. I'll give you advantage because Victor recommended checking for dates of time periods that you guys already know he was disappeared. 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> Roll with advantage and get the same thing twice. <laughs> That's fine. 17. You start flipping through the journal, and you would know that to go through all of them in their entirety, it'd probably take you the better part of an hour, hour and a half. But you just kind of skim through a couple dates that kind of correspond with the time that you know that Lucius had troubles before. You find a journal entry. You see that it is dated six years ago. So it says here, I woke this morning frightfully fatigued. I feel like I spent the night in combat, not sleeping. My head hurts and I feel weak. I can't miss work at the temple, but I think I'll confine myself to light tasks today. The next journal entry that you see is dated five years later, which is a year ago, which corresponds to it's the first journal entry since he returned to Freeport. The God help me, what happened? I woke from some strange dream to find the five years have passed. Egil told me I was kicked out of the temple four years ago for violating the sanctum. Surely this is madness. And the final journal entry that you got with your initial glimpse is dated four months ago. It stood out because what he's been doing in these journal entries is it's like half a page for each entry. And this specific one was the only one on the certain page that it had. It's also... The last journal entry you see that's completely legible before they start to deteriorate into something else. Egil says that Milos, Milos was asking after me again that he was worried about another episode. Maybe he's simply concerned for the temple, but surely I've sufficiently proven myself by now. My life is mine again, and I'm not giving it up. Egil looks up. Milos, uh, I know him. He's one of the men at my temple. He... He's the right-hand man to Theron, the leader of our temple. He he did have a little bit of a falling out with Lucius, but I don't want to speak ill of him. It wasn't anything that was terrible. It's just they had a disagreement when Lucius returned. Hmm. Sounds like he was being plagued in his sleep by something, whether that was nightmares or maybe something not of the material realm. <sighs> It's all terrible. I can point you in the direction of my temple, and I would be fine if you ask around there. But as I said to you yesterday when I hired you, I think perhaps it would be best if we do not go in there together and act as though I have hired you for this purpose. Especially now that I see that there are others who are trying to find Lucius's answers. I believe that we may be in danger, and I do not wish to bring that upon my fellow brothers at the temple. Can I trust that the four of you will honor me in this request? That's understandable. We will take care and make sure that we don't mention your name or anything about you when we go over there. Yes. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. Well, unless there's anything else you wish to do here, I think we should take our leave. Hey, Victor. What's a turnip? It's a, uh, it's a root vegetable. Huh. All right. With that, you all four cross out of Lucius's home. When you get out to the front exit, you see that Egil pulls the door shut again, and he locks it with the key that he opened it up with beforehand. He takes that key, and he places it back in his belt pouch with Lucius's keys that he took when you guys left. He takes a deep breath, and he says, Well... I can certainly understand if the four of you might believe this is getting to be too dangerous and you might wish to step back from this inquiry, but 
I would request that you continue. Okay. If I were to bow out now, it would be a scar upon my honor as a adventurer and treasure hunter. Okay. He just kind of nods, and he... Yes, of course, of course. I thank you for this. Thank you. Okay. And he takes another deep breath to steady himself, and he takes you guys away from the tenement and back towards the Scholar's Quill. He takes you back to that small little wooden fence line that differentiates the Temple District from Drax End. And you cross back over into a more refined, a more attractive section of the city. And as you move further into the Temple District, you do see that, as he mentioned to you all before, when you first arrived in Freeport, it was giving you the lay of the land, that you do see that there are temples here for each of the main gods. You pass by a large dwarven temple devoted to Moradin. You pass by another that is devoted to Pelor, god of the sun. And yet you pass by yet another one that looks almost like a pirate ship that has been taken out of the sea and placed upon a large wooden block in the center of this area. You all recognize the symbol of a steering wheel from a ship with a face upon it of a one-eyed man with a large toothy smile and a big luscious beard. You know this to be Haramast, the god of piracy and the god of sea travel. But as you guys continue across the way, you do find that there is a large, impressive structure that dwarfs almost all of the other temples within this area. You can see that the large exposure of grandeur of this huge building is pretty impressive. The Temple of Knowledge, that you would guess it to be when you arrive, and later you see a sign in the front that marks it as so, the building is large, and you see that there is a vaulted frame that soars over 150 feet, almost as if it's trying to outreach the sky itself. In the front, you see large bronze doors that currently stand open, and as you pass across a small courtyard in front of it, you can see that beyond the bronze doors, there's an immense inner chamber. Right as you're about to enter into the front doors, you see more than one young man and young woman that are wearing those same sky blue colored robes that Egil wears. They come out holding books and parchments, some of them talking to each other and others lost in train of thought with themselves. Egil stops in that little courtyard and he nods to all of you and he says, perhaps we shall meet again later to discuss our findings. Certainly. Thank you. Thank you. And he shakes all of your hands in turn, and then he crosses the courtyard and goes into the large doors. What do you guys do? I want to go talk to one of these people to see how do I get an audience with um, Theron or Milo was his name? Milos. Milos. So you guys want to do that by just kind of asking around, or you guys just want to go in to the front door where he went into, or how do you guys want oh, to do I, that? I want to go into the front door and find somebody. Okay. Is everybody taking that same approach? I am just going to go straight on in and start walking around the halls. Iridanza, Nisha, what are you guys doing? Nisha's going to follow Victor. Okay. Iridanza is going to follow Arden. 
So the four of you make your way to that front entryway, those large bronze doors that stand open. And as the four of you pass within them, you enter into an immense inner chamber. It's about 150 feet long, and it's almost at the same distance wide. And you can see at the center of the chamber, there is a large domed ceiling that's made of marble. You can see all along the inner floor here, there's tiled mosaics that kind of make up a front atrium. And they began at the door pretty much right as you entered, and they stretch all the way the entire floor of the room. Specifically, the mosaic, you look, and from the angle you guys are positioned at, you can see it depicts a large open book that's bound within a beaming sun. And it's pieces of ceramic and various shades of golden yellow, ambers, there's even some reds mixed in for different depictions. And all of the rest of the colors are shades of blue, uh, some of them icy, some of them dark. At the far end of the chamber, the furthest away from you guys, there's two large statues of a wizened old man. The old man in each statue is wearing the same long robes. Each one of them is flanked by a massive 10-foot-tall lantern that lights the entire room with this warm, bright light. You notice, as you notice this light, that it doesn't harm your eyes. It tells you instinctively it's magical in nature. You guys are a little bit impressed because the concept of having a large, massive lantern that magically lights this entire chamber is uh, a lot more efficient than hand-lighting several hundred candles a day like typical temples would. You cross in, you see the two wizened statues. They appear to be two identical old men draped in loose, elegant robes. The one on the left is cast in a very fine gold, and he shines very brightly. The other on the right is cast in a polished silver. The golden one has his arms outstretched to his sides, and the other one, the silver one, holds an open book, and he has his head bowed as if he's reading from it. Arden, if you can make a religion check for me, please. Because with your background, you know a lot about religions. I sure do. Granted, I didn't pay attention that often. <laughs> it's okay. I had other lessons to be taken care of. That's right, you did. Oop, ten. Temple of Knowledge, I, I don't know that. You look and you're not too familiar with this temple's faith, but you do recognize that the holy symbol of the book with the sun around it and also the way that the two statues look, that this is Biblius, the god of knowledge and insight. And you can tell that this center chamber that you guys are entering into is definitely the center of worship in this temple. You all also see that there are 20 men kneeling on either side of the statue. They each have large elegantly embroidered books resting upon their laps, and they all seem to be silently reading the words to themselves. All of their eyes are closed, you notice, even though you can tell that they're reading. They all sing this really deep, oh, kind of hum that resonates throughout the entire hall. You can see that there is an upper level above you all that has balconies that are lined with books, then they encompass the entire upper floor of the chamber, and they reach all the way up to the frescoed ceiling. As you guys enter in, you see that there is a desk about 10 feet in, and there's a young man who stands up from behind it. He looks young, maybe 14 or 15. He crosses out from behind the desk as you stand there gaping at the surroundings. You can tell from his attire that he's probably not fully a brother like Egil is, but he definitely is wearing the colors of the faith. 
he places a single finger across his left temple, and then he bows in a gesture. None of you recognize what that is. He then speaks to you all. Greetings, everyone. My name is Norton. How might I be of assistance to you this day? He says with a very audible squeak brought on by puberty. Hi, Norton. I need to see Milos. Um, do you have an appointment? Of course I do. I have been given appointments by the gods themselves to see Milos right now. Well, he might be busy, but I can definitely look into it to see if he's got some time for you. Um, what about your companions? And he kind of motions to the other three of you standing there. Ah, yes. We're with um, this gentleman here. We're here to see Milos. I believe if you check your appointment books, you'll find that our names are there. I would like to do a minor illusion. Okay, interesting. All right. When you go ahead and cast that, if you could please roll a d20 for me. Boop, 17. Okay, perfect. So what exactly is it that you wish to do with your minor illusion, Arden? I would like to write my name. Nisha's name and Iridanza's. Okay, you want to write them where? In the appointment section. Okay. So as the young man, Norton, as he walks by and crosses back in behind the desk, you see he starts flipping through a book that's about twice the size of Lucius's journal in all directions. So it's longer, wider, thicker. And he flips through a page or two and he gets to the last page and you gesture with your hand while his head is down. So, right as he flips to that last page, you finish gesturing, and there is a small little wave of like a reddish-orange energy that kind of swipes across the page that he doesn't seem to notice. And he looks, and he says, And what was your name, sir? I am Arden, and these are my two lovely companions, Nisha and Iridanza. Iridanza, yeah, that. And he looks back down into the book, and he watches fingers trail over some names, and he gets to one of the entries about midway through the page, and he says, Oh, yes, I have you right here. Arden Langalar Iridanza, or, 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 and he kind of stutters over your name for a second before he finally hits Orame. And Nisha, I don't know, it just says Nisha. Um, yeah, the three of you seem like you seem to be okay. Um, I can fetch Milos for you. If you'd like to, we have a small settee over there. If you would like to wait while I deal with this gentleman, and he points at Victor. Uh, yeah, you might want to check again. I'm pretty sure my name's on there. And when he goes to look down, I'll also cast Minor Illusion and my name on there. <laughs> Okay. Does he wear glasses? No, he does not. Oh, okay. Okay, you say that, and he kind of gives you a nod, and he walks back over to the desk, and he crosses back around, and he looks back down at the book, and he looks, and you see he looks really close to where the names were, and then he goes, Oh, it's my mistake. It says right here, Victor Reed, is that you? Yep, that would be me. Oh, excellent. Okay, um, it seems like you were all on the same appointment, so I can go. I'll be right back. 
and he turns and he walks about 15 feet away from the desk and he approaches another young man who's about the same age as him. This one has dark black hair that's slicked back on his head. And Norton says something to him and the other boy nods to him. He looks at the four of you and he nods and then he crosses away from you guys and he makes his way up to the northern section of the temple, up by where those two statues are. He crosses by the other brothers who are sitting there in their prayers, and he disappears behind a pillar. And you guys are left there waiting for a few moments. Is there anything you guys wish to do before he returns? No, I'll just wait patiently. Yeah, I'm just waiting patiently. Okay. I would like to do another minor illusion. Okay. I would like to make a really loud noise happen by those two other individuals who are reading the book, <laughs> like an air horn. Well, there's <laughs> there's 20 other guys that are reading books. There's 20 priests that are sitting on the ground reading books. Marvelous. <laughs> it's going to be a really loud one then. Okay. Uh, so as you cast that minor illusion, again, if you could just roll me another d20, please. Perfect. 12. Okay, so Arden, you kind of move off to the side. You stare at the brothers for a second. You tap your foot on the floor, and then you gesture again, that same component that you casted the minor illusion with before. And suddenly, from the center of the chamber beyond, where the 20 brothers are, there's this loud, cacophonous ring of this really large bell sound. And it goes off, and you notice about half of the brothers all shriek and fall over and drop their books. <laughs> they all look around confused. The other ones who did not move, they open up their eyes. They seem to be ones who are older. They open up their eyes slowly. And they look around to the others and they give a chastising look like, oh my goodness, how dare you make movement? And they all kind of write themselves back up and they all go back to their prayers. <laughs> There was a few moments that goes by, and then that young man with the long black hair slicked back away from his face returns. And when he does so, there is a man following him. The man is a human, and he's of average height, a little bit younger than middle-aged. You would guess him to be in his late 30s. He has a very pronounced widow's peak and a recessed hairline about his person. And he has these large horn-rimmed glasses that he wears that are a little bit too big for his face. And he steps forward, and this man flatly says, I am Brother Milos. What is it that you would wish to speak with me about? Is there somewhere that we can speak privately? Well, if you will forgive me, I do not remember making an appointment with the four of you. What is this in regards to? Well, you see, Mr. I, we're we're looking for for my dad. His name is Lucius. He's gone missing, and and I need to find him. Your father, he says, and he has a look of incredulousness to him, like he does not believe you in the least bit. He goes, "I know Lucius, and as far as I was aware, he does not have any children that are of a." And he looks at your feet, and he says, uh, "Different race than him." Perhaps you should speak plainly. What is it that you really wish to speak to me about? My time here is very short. I'm busy in planning for the dedication of the Lighthouse of Drac. I really should not be disturbed. I nudge Victor in the knee because that's my elbow level. Okay. Tell him that he's your dad, too. That might get him. 
<laughs> Amazing. All right. He, uh, Milo squints his eyes and he says, Really, I do not have any time for this. And he starts to turn and walk out of the. No, really. You asked us to help you. You're worried that other brothers here might start having episodes. We came to help with that. He stops in his tracks and he slowly turns back to regard you. And he says, who are you? What are you doing here? Who has sent you? We got a letter from, we believe to have been you, but now I'm thinking maybe someone else had sent that letter on your behalf. He takes a deep breath. He looks at you and he says, I do not know of any sort of letter you speak. Might I see this letter so that I can determine its authenticity? It was lost at sea. We were in a horrible storm. We lost almost everything. We nearly lost our lives. Yeah, I had to row us all the way back to shore. My arms are tired. Iridanza, go ahead and make a deception check with advantage, because Victor threw that in for you. Okay. And I hit my head so far, I thought this guy was my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Eleven? Eleven. Roll something for him. Okay. He looks at you, Iridanza, and he says, how unfortunate. Lucky that one such as yourself, a sea elf, was able to exist below the waves as well as above. I can assure you that I have sent no letter seeking out help for any member of my clergy here. You will understand that we are a very private sect. We do not wish to involve outsiders in our dealings. But I believe what you say speaks true. We have had one of our brothers who returned recently after a considerable absence. And when he did so, he was... And he kind of makes a disgusted look on his face. Rewelcomed, even after violating our sanctum. That is very kind of you to do that. Well, I had no say in the matter. I do not believe the one who violates the sanctum of Biblius, the god of knowledge, should be allowed to return, no matter what sort of treasures they bring with them. But Thuron is in charge here, and he made the decision, and I respect it. Treasures. My ears perk up. Perhaps Thuron could help us? Maybe he was the one who sent the letter. I highly doubt that. Thuron is even busier than I am. He is not to be disturbed. Noted. Can you tell me what treasures he brought? When Lucius, our brother who went missing returned. He had acquired a very interesting collection of books during his worldly travels. He offered to donate them to the temple as penance, and this apparently pleased the high priest, and it was enough to allow him re-entrance. I see. Can we see these books? Well, (laughs) I assure you that you cannot. They have not been made public yet. Our experts are still evaluating them and checking for their authenticity. They should be available sometime next year. Well, luckily for you, we have two experts. Victor and Arden are experts. Well, yes, I I am quite the expert. I have read many books in many of libraries. Iridanza, if you could please make a persuasion check at disadvantage. You can definitely get a vibe from this guy that he is not very interested in having you guys look around at their stuff, regardless of how new it might be. It's a six. 
Yeah, he just kind of wrinkles his nose again at you, like he's not even going to entertain that idea. I think not, he says. Sir, could could you tell me, when was the last time you saw this uh, clergyman, Lucius? He is not a clergyman. He's a librarian who works here. My mistake. He was here several days ago, and, not to my surprise, he did not show up when he was supposed to. This will be the third day he has shirked his duties. If you ask me, it was a mistake to bring him back to the temple, but again, it was not a decision that I made. Well, thank you for your time. We'll be on our way. And then I push them off to the side until he walks away. And as you start to walk away, he says, On behalf of the Temple of Knowledge and of the clergy of the Temple of Knowledge, I welcome you to Freeport. I hope your investigation goes well. Why, thank you. Can I make an insight check on that? Yeah, I was going to say. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Three. Oh, man. Nisha with a nat one. (laughs) Eleven. Another six. Oop, natural 20. So a 22. Oh, there we go. Arden's got a nat 20. You guys are rocking and rolling right now. You guys can tell just the dripping of the negative attitude from this guy. Apparently, he does not like Lucius at all. It's just seething out of his words. You all can tell to a certain extent that he's not very pleased that you guys were here to bother him. And Victor, you can tell that there's probably a little bit more of a animosity that he has towards Lucius that has not been fully revealed. Arden, with your natural 20, you can tell this guy would like nothing more than the four of you to fall off the face of the planet and never be seen again. Wow. That guy's a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Is that appropriate language? Nope. (laughs) Milos, as you guys are kind of crossing out of the temple, he turns and he walks away from you guys. You can see that he looks to the young man with the slicked back hair, and you can just hear the remnants of him saying, I not believe you bothered me with something such as this, and his voice trails out as they walk away. You guys step back out of the temple into the courtyard in the front of it, and into the center of the temple district. You guys think back about all that you have learned, that Lucius apparently had this missing time, and that he was trying to reclaim answers as to what happened to him, that this Milos figure, who seems to be the right-hand man to Theron, head of the temple, didn't hire or ask for your help, and that they are quite busy and don't wish to help you any further. So what is it that you guys wish to do now? Are we still inside of the temple? No, you've kind of crossed outside. You're standing outside those big, large bronze doors in like a small little courtyard that it has there. There's like a small fountain. Well, I personally think that we should head back to the inn and discuss further. I have a bit of an idea, but it would require not to be daylight. Okay. Head back to the inn. You all head back to the inn, and you meet back up in the common room, or do you guys go up to one of the rooms, the bedrooms? The common room. 
No, I think we should go to one of the bedrooms. I think it should be the common room because that's where the food is at. We'll get you a to go. <laughs> room service? Okay, yeah, let's go to the bedroom. Here, Donza, you got all the smart stuff today, lady. <laughs> Why, thank you. That must be why your skin must be blue. You guys all cross back upstairs to where your rooms are. And you do notice, as you debate about where to have your small little meeting, that Iridanza's room is about twice as big as all the other rooms. So it probably would be the best place to accommodate all of you. It also has that small writing desk that you guys might be able to use to take notes or do whatever it is you wish to do. And as you guys go within there, your thoughts go back to everything that you've learned so far over the day. Do you guys wish to do anything specifically? Talk about anything? Look up anything else? What is it you guys want to do? Yeah. Uh, flip through the book some more, the journal. Okay. So I have an idea here, uh, group. We, I think, should try to get our hands on those treasures that he brought. And I also think we should snoop through Milo's office. I agree. And Thornton's office. Did I say his name right? Thoron's Thoron. office. We should snoop Thoron. through Thoron's office. Thoron, T-H-U. Is that not what you I said? You're saying Thoron, like Thor, the god of thunder. Thor, it's okay. She's got, she's got an accent. She's from below the sea. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's my Aquan accent. Ah, I see. Well, we need to find where Thoron's office is, so we should probably talk with Egil again to see if he can tell us where it's at to make it a little bit easier. Exactly my thoughts. And then as for those books that Lucius had brought back, we'd have to find where they're holding them while they're being uh, verified. Maybe Eagle has information on that, too. That's what I'm hoping for. So you guys mentioned that you wanted to investigate the book further. I assume you mean Lucius's journal? Yes. I specifically would like to see if there's a page of the day that he was reinstated and maybe his discussion he had with Theron. I see. Okay. Let's have one of you take up the helm to do the investigation check with advantage because you're all kind of pouring over it together. So whichever one of you believes you have the best investigation skills. I'd like to also give Bardic inspiration to whoever is doing this. Ah, perfect. Okay. Anybody but me. (laughs) I have a plus five for my investigation. Negative one. Oh. (laughs) So I think we should have Nisha do it. Okay. So, Victor, what do you say or do to give her the inspiration? I tell her specifically what I think we should look for to give her direction. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, so Nisha, go ahead and make an investigation roll at advantage. So 24. Excellent. With a 24, do you want to use his bardic inspiration or do you want to hold that for something else? I'll, I'll hold that for something else. Okay. So, you start flipping through the book. And you don't find anything specifically that details what happened the day that he was reinstated. You do find a small entry. It's from the day before about how he wanted to meet with Theron and he wanted to do whatever he could to get back within the temple because it's his life. You also do find amongst the journal entries that you already discerned, there are some other entries that spring out towards you. The first journal entry that you notice is dated six months ago. All right, let's see. So this one says, life has resumed a kind of normalcy. 
I've won admittance back into the temple. My reception was strange, but everyone seems relieved that I am back to my old self. I have so many questions about these missing years, but it seems best to simply move on with my life now. If the God wills it, knowledge will come to me. Another journal entry that stands out is dated two months ago. Um, let's see, here's another one. It says, the dreams came again last night. I don't know that I'll ever get a good night's sleep. I dreamt of cities as tall as the clouds and creatures so alien in form that I can't describe them. Does this have something to do with my lost years, or is this some fresh torment? Another journal entry that stands out to you is dated just one month ago. It's clear to me now that I must find some answer if I'm ever to make the dreams stop. Theron and Milos try to discourage me. I think they fear what might happen to their temple. A pity their compassion does not extend to a living being. Another journal entry is dated for one week ago, and it causes you a bit of an alarm. And then the last one here. I have begun to feel like I'm being watched. I pray this is not a further milestone on the road to madness. I think I'll take my dagger with me in the morning. In a city like Freeport, I suppose one can't be too careful, especially with pirates in port. So he has no recollection of what happened while he was gone. Theron and Milos, they aren't very helpful. Do you guys think that Captain Scarbilly might be another point of something we should look into? Because I still really believe that he probably tried to hitch a ride with that guy. Especially since he already talked with him. Yeah, I mean, it's worth seeing him and seeing if he'll give us any information about what Lucius was talking to him about. Do you guys believe it would be best to do that before we try to get these treasures? Or do you think it would be better to grab those now and uh, try to look through that first? Let's see what Captain Scarbelly has to say first, and then we can raid the temple. Yeah, I would agree. It's probably best to be in the ports during daylight hours and not after dark. Agreed. I don't know. Could be fun. <laughs> As the four heroes recount the experiences that they had throughout the course of of the two days since they have arrived in the city of adventure, they wonder what next steps they might have to take to gain the proper answers they seek. For even now, their questions and their journey are just beginning. These four outsiders each hide their own secrets and own agendas, such conflicted interests that it forces their hesitant cooperation and makes their quest nigh impossible. As the questions begin to unfold, they will learn that the city of Freeport holds its own secrets. And some secrets are best left undiscovered. Thank you for listening to the Game Night Heroes. The tale continues another time. This was Freeport. Episode 3, Lines of Inquiry. Please subscribe and give us a review. It helps new listeners find us and take the journey along with you and with us. We can be found on all social media at Game Night Heroes. Please be sure to follow us for updates and for new information. We can also be found at GameNightHeroes.com. The Game Night Heroes is hosted and game-mastered by Kevin Stacy. 
Victor Reed is played by Rob Alexander. Iradonzo Orame is played by Colleen Alexander. Arden Langelar is played by Aaron Regner. Nisha Lycoania is played by Brittany Stone. The Freeport Trilogy was created and published by Chris Premus and Green Ronin Publishing. Logo design and podcast cover art for the Game Night Heroes was created by Josh K. Music is from various artists and appears from Pixabay. Please feel free to message us at Game Night Heroes Contact at Gmail. We'd love to hear from you. This has been a presentation of the Game Night Heroes. Until next time, keep dreaming your impossible dreams.